Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. Immigrants imprisoned at detention centers in Tacoma, Miami, El Paso, Alabama, Phoenix, San Diego, and San Francisco are on hunger strike. The strikers are demanding an end to racist abuse by guards, as well as an improvement of poor conditions and long imprisonment. 30 prisoners are on strike in El Paso, some for more than a month, and a judge just granted permission for guards to force-feed six of them. They are being force-fed through nasal tubes, leading to bleeding and vomiting. Force-feeding is widely considered torture under international law. Shutdown Etowah, a solidarity group supporting hunger strikers in Alabama, released this statement on the strike there. They wrote, A group of immigrant detainees in Unit 9 of the Etowah County Detention Center have begun hunger strike on January 23rd. The protesters, who are being held indefinitely by ICE, are resisting the long-standing inhumane conditions at the jail. For years, people in ICE detention at ECDC have reported the foul and inhuman conditions in this facility, such as rotten food and lack of access to outdoor time. Recently, former Etowah County Sheriff Todd and Trinken came under scrutiny for profiting from the neglect. The need for the Etowah County Detention Center to meet the basic needs of people under their custody has been a persistent battle that resulted in the former sheriff losing his election. Unit 9 was the unit where I was housed. My heart goes out to them, said RM, who was formerly detained at ECDC. The hard part is that you get exhausted after those hunger strikes. You just hope that somehow authorities and people are going to finally listen and understand that these are not animals in those living quarters, they're people. But what comes after is silence and the crackdown on inmates. If you want to support the strikers, you may call 256-546-2825. Shutdown Etowah offers this sample script. I am calling in support of the demands released by protesters inside Etowah County Detention Center and to demand that Sheriff Horton accept their demands in writing and implement these changes immediately. We recently reported that hundreds of prisoners at the Kokoran prison had gone on hunger strike in response to massive use of solitary confinement and other abuses at the facility. We're pleased to share the following update from the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. A victory. On Monday, January 28th, day 20 of the hunger strike in Kokorin 3C, the warden came to the negotiating table. As a result, two of the demands have been met and the hunger strike has been suspended. Last night, 245 prisoners had their first meal in 20 days. Strikers are now getting packages, full canteen privileges, and are negotiating a yard schedule. Negotiations to end the lockdown and restore visitation are yet to come. On January 30th, the New York Times ran a long expose on the death, due to medical neglect, of Lamikia Dockery. Dockery was a mother of five who was sentenced to a year in a Goshen, Indiana work release facility due to a probation violation. Guards ignored her symptoms, including vomiting and screams of pain, as well as her formal requests for medical care over six days last October. She was suffering from a perforated ulcer, but her family believes that she was neglected due to racism. Her aunt, Bertina Slaughter, said, She was a black woman, and they say she was on drugs, so they looked down on her. They didn't think that she was worth nothing, but she was worth a lot to us. Prosecutors declined to press any charges. This week, we continue hearing from Chantal, who tells us about her time detained in France in December. 
Arrested in Paris during the Yellow Vest clashes, Chantal describes the immigration retention facility that she was held in. She tells us of the camaraderie people found together while inside and the absurdity of the situation many of them were in. She used her skills in translation to fight for medical care for a fellow detainee who was unable to speak French. Due to this language barrier, this detainee had faced terrifying neglect similar to that of Lumikia Dockery in Goshen, Indiana. Chantal also paints a picture of the daily life of the Immigration Retention Center, aptly describing the small pleasures prisoners develop during their time inside. Here she is. So there's laundry, soap, toilet paper, there's the social work office, there's the equivalent to, it's called Le Greff, it's, it's like a commissary, which is actually just kind of a, a guy who will, if you, you know, you give him money and he'll go on the outside and buy you things like um, a SIM card or um, tobacco and um, in, in this facility you are able to have a cell phone as long as he doesn't have a camera, so you can have like a very low level um, phone for calling people. Which is really essential because otherwise it is very difficult to get access to a phone to call your lawyer. There are these strange phones in the yard that people can call you on. Like, and I found later on on my ID card that there was in fact like a, a number, and I, I would sort of just like wait in my bed and try to listen for when one of the phones to ring if it was the phone that I had given the number out for I would like run to it and, and like stand out in the freezing cold with like a blanket and talk and then there's the infirmary which is also difficult to get in line in time in order to see some kind of to get to get some health care and but basically I would I, I really would spend my day just loitering around in these different lines waiting to talk to um, any of these services you know I would, I would try to go to the nurse every day to get my my face washed you know to get some vaseline to get these little like i had a sore throat and i was like they were like kind of like for like a sore throat but everyone knows they don't really work and they're actually just kind of like a mint so i kind of like go every day to get like my little mints you know it was like one of the pleasures over time i began to accompany friends of mine who spoke spanish but not french and i would translate with them for, for the commissary uh, i would try to translate them um in the infirmary which ended up being very helpful over time as uh, I began to understand that many of the people have all of their medication confiscated without explanation in the beginning of their stay and then you know by day four or five their symptoms worse and um, for example my friend had a very serious condition with her uterus where she was taking preventive medicine that was kind of staving off the inevitable of needing her uterus removed, but, you know, going like a week without this medication was, was causing her some serious complications. So we were able to get her examined and she was slated to get deported back to Costa Rica and we were trying to get her an extended stay so that she could have a procedure done that she desperately needed. But it was complicated because it was also the holidays. So I, this is really kind of like the best sort of parts of my day where we're mostly standing outside with a lot of the different friends I had made from the men's side, truly just sort of discussing our lives, maybe even what we had hoped to do when we left or like what our trajectory was afterwards, which was rare, but if we could ever get past this sort of initial conversation of just how wild this whole entire situation was, like just how really truly nothing makes sense in this world, that laws are not real, that 
these these documents you know like m many of us had different like friends and experiences where you know someone who we thought like seemed like really had everything sort of le legitimate and necessary would be deported whereas another friend of ours who had falsified documents was set free and, and on their way and and then in combination with with my situation and i mean really just like all of our situations most of the time our conversations would lead to sort of like a yeah the world is insane everything like nothing makes sense and every day is a new challenge and that's just what life is and life is suffering um and there was like a mostly like some kind of like resolve around this coupled with like different clashes in in certain like heated moments where the police became disrespectful or resentful of us experiencing any kind of joy or, or contact with each other um but yeah it was nice because we could ex like I, I eventually did get a phone um my friends were able, my, my, my friends in France were able to come visit me and gave me a SIM card and another girl in prison gave me a phone that I was using and, uh, you know, I could call my friends in the other side of the prison and we, we could congregate and maybe even like kick a soccer ball together in this like corridor until like someone in the watchtower would be like, like, get back to the women's side, you're going to get raped, you know, and I'd yell back like, you're the only rapist here, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, over time, I got, uh, you know, I kept kind of like stealing pens for fun from different offices as well. And then I could draw on the back of my court documents and I was kind of like drawing different parts of the space. Spent a lot of time like chain smoking, watching the news all night, which I'm sure did not help anyone think I was more normal. We would take, take things from the canteen and bring them into our room so we could have, we called it the dispensa. And it was just kind of like mostly stuff that we didn't want and stuff that we couldn't like you know we, we would just end up making like instant coffee with cold water and like eating stale bread and but there was something nice about that too yeah and then yeah sometimes I would like get on the phone with some of my friends lawyers and help them also translate Spanish to French and try to get to the bottom of some of these like mis mysterious situations that we were all in and eventually my friends had distributed my phone number to a lot of my friends in the United States and I was getting many phone calls from many different people and I had some of the most interesting and compelling conversations with my friends that I'd had in a long time in fact. Sometimes I would like try to exercise if I ever had my room alone like if my roommate had um, you know gone to court and a few times in the yard if it was ever not freezing. A lot of my friends had never been in cold weather before so it was like particularly painful for them um, and one morning uh, me and my two friends were walking in the yard from breakfast and um, my friend from the Dominican Republic actually thought that the frost on the ground was some kind of paint that, that the guards had put on, on the floor for like as a Christmas decoration. She had never seen frost before. Yeah, I, I, I told her no. No, no, no. <laughs> That's ice. One thing that was really moving was whenever someone would go to court you, you bring all your things with you on the off chance like you, you you are hoping to get freed from court so we can't we sometimes we say goodbye we say good luck and we say like i hope i never see you again you know like um like it was like everyone was very very supportive of people being freed and i think there was like of course like a deep solidarity and love in that but simultaneously there was like I think every time someone got freed, it made us all more hopeful that that would also happen to us. And so one of my friends did get free and she left and she called 
us on our phones from Holland and was very happy. It was reunited with her boyfriend, had gone out to a restaurant and was just very, very happy. I had some other friends give me different phone numbers to try, you know, if I were ever free and I gave everyone my American phone number and some of us exchanged emails and, you know, like WhatsApp numbers and things like this. And I had many friends that were very interested in staying in contact. So you have sort of two chances in front of the of these of these judges, um, and so I go back for my second chance on Wednesday, so following the first Monday, and this time I go to Paris. So uh, I was transferred in this van, which is really much more like a horse trailer, in that each inmate is in their own separate metal box. So we're all in these individual metal boxes um, that are you know, too small to stand up in, very, very small, and they lock you in them. And uh, it seems inevitable to me that every every time they load people in there, that someone is going to have a panic attack or or some some kind of um, some kind of sh- just utter shock that this is happening. It's like very perverse medieval um, experience and. Uh, in this case, it was, and it was very, very cold, like like a, like a coldness that hurts, like through your clothing against the metal. And there was one person that was getting loaded in with us, um, in particular, that was very upset, and he was sort of exclaim, claiming that he was he, he was sick, and you know he's like, I, I'm sick, I can't, you can't not, tra- you can't transfer me in this, you know. And um, the police response to this was, you know. You, it's your choice. Your your court case will happen with or without you. You know you you can come. Don't come if you know this is all your choice. Um, it kind of goes back and forth, and eventually he does get in, and we go, and you know the entire ride. Uh, there's sort of the same guy who was really freaking out at the beginning was sort of like having these sort of back and forth with the cops and the cops were actually saying things like oh it's so beautiful outside the sun is shining it's so warm up here we have the heat on um like let's go to the Eiffel Tower today like let's see the sights like we're going to Paris great and um I make it I make it like maybe like an hour it's like an hour and a half two hour ride and I make it like an hour or two because I'm like singing like four songs that I can remember like over and over again to myself and I make it that far and then um there's something in you know the this the, the way the police were speaking uh the look in the eyes of the person across the van from me who I'd been speaking, you know, speaking with for a while while we were waiting to get put in the van. And, um, that I just kind of, and I think also it was like really the first time I'd really been like really alone for a while. And so I just kind of, um, was overtaken by like the sort of like horror of, um, the situation and really lost it and just kind of became, was sobbing and, um, uh, the, you know, my, my new friend who had been kind of freaking out started, like, trying to comfort me. And he was just like, American, American. He was like, are you okay? 
it's gonna be okay we're gonna be fine you know and I don't know it kind of made me cry more and um I yeah I was kind of overtaken by, by like a deep sadness and um I was very very mad I think honestly uh the the sort of bottled up emotion was 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 really from um like there is no emotional release in like when you're incarcerated and particularly particularly in this center because there isn't like you know physical activity there's no like visual entertainment there's nothing to listen to I hadn't heard music there's like nothing so I I hadn't I, I kind of like couldn't get anything out and I couldn't like there's many times that I really wanted to like scream and just like had to like maintain this sort of like um you know even just being like that close of proximity to the police for so long like it was a lot of like rage inside of me so I was very upset um but I didn't want to, you know, be hysterical in front. Of, I didn't want to see the the police see me cry. But um, so they unlocked us, and um, we we arrived we arrived at the at the courthouse, and, and we started to get out and kind of like run out of the van. And I'm trying to keep it cool, and then one of the cops that was receiving us was kind of like, "Oh, she she's not happy. Like, what's wrong? What's what's wrong with her? Like, why is she so upset?" And then the other one was like, "Oh, I guess she didn't like that transfer." And then another cop was like, "Why? It was fast." And so then I was like, you know, repeat, like fast, like, what are you talking about? Like, that, like, that wasn't fast. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, how do you sleep at night? Like, you know, I was really kind of like going in on these, on these cops. And, um, then I kind of like, uh, looked over to the courthouse and I saw my friends there for the first time. So it was the first time I had seen anyone I knew and I kind of ran over to them. I was trying to calm down and they hugged me and um we I know I was immediately kind of like put inside and separated and then I like really calmed down and I honestly just like started kind of like I was separated from the men again but I could kind of like talk to them through this doorway and and I um just kind of like they kind of started distracting me and we're all kind of just like talking and like started making fun of the cops again and kind of just like you know this one this one I'm really like I have this vivid memory of this of this guy the guy who's kind of like freaking out and then was kind of like you know American it'll be okay because he was, like, clearly, like, he had lived in France probably his entire life. He was, like, maybe in his, like, 30s or 40s. He was, like, very well-dressed. Like, this was, like, someone who had money, someone who had, like, some kind of social standing in France. And, like, we were just, like, in this situation together. And he just kind of, like, kept saying, like, I'll take care of you. Like, uh, we, and all the buildings that we live in are, like, called, like, a number, like, like uh, building, like, 14A. I, I, was, I, was, I was building 13B. And, and so he was, like, I'm the king of of building 10A, okay? Like, I'm the king, and I will, I'll come and visit you, and I, I'll give you anything you need. <laughs> I just ask, you know? And so, I don't know, it's just like, and then, and then we're again just waiting for hours for this, like, court appearance, and my friends are there, but I can't really touch them or talk to them, but we're kind of, like, sneaking around, and then, um, you know, there's just, like, an insane amount of police at all times, because, like, every, like, every, like, detainee from, like, every part, every different prison has like two cops with him so there's just like an amazing like an incredible amount of cops like surplus cops are all bored everyone's like watching tv on their phones and we're just like waiting so eventually i go in front of this judge again the lawyers are, are sort of informing me that it's not a great judge it's another conservative judge um we'll see uh but it, yeah it doesn't go well for me um we give us again a solid defense that is very like based off of the facts and um the prosecution again brings in all this context about 
um, sort of like speculations on who I was and what I was wearing, uh, what I was doing, uh, despite the fact that there still is no evidence, there's no like documentation of my arrest and things like this. And this time I give a small defense in English and I'm sort of like, I had no intention of, of, of coming here for violence and I, I want to leave. I want to go to the United States and my friends had bought me another plane ticket and I would like to get on it. Um, but this, this judge, um, after we waited for a long time again, just kind of like maintained this ruling and included in her decision that she was aware of this being outside of the law and this being a, not a typical form of punishment, but it is in fact a punishment that I must serve. So at this point, that's Wednesday, and so it's, I mean, by all intents and purposes, we had lost, and it was expected that I would I would stay in for the entire 28 days, and then I would be deported, and I would have the ban, and so we're all kind of like, everyone's pretty surprised and shocked, and it's kind of like, um, I don't know, the energy kind of is a little bit depleted, and I just kind of, I go back, and I sort of accept this, and honestly, I was really sad with not much direction, um, for a day or two, I was kind of just slowly kind of like crying, like much less engaged with my friends. And I was listening, I was hanging out and listening and wanting to be around them. Um, but I kind of like was a little bit exhausted from explaining this, this case. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, it was interesting. I think I like brought, I brought a lot of dark energy to the retention center where uh especially for example the 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 two young police officers that brought me to paris for that second case that i i yelled at when i was let out of the van they never really looked at me the same and whenever we were like sharing space or in in eyesight of each other like we would sort of i would just like we would we would stare at each other and kind of like I would never claim to, like, have changed the consciousness of a police officer or make anyone doubt this, like, position of power they're in or the choices they had made. But um, I did, like, repeatedly experience, like, a palpable and, like, very tangible sort of, like, dark horror of, like, my existence. And um, I sort of, like, felt that reflected, like, all around me by, like, the horror of, like... um, the existence of this place and I don't know I, I, I think I was like somehow motivated to at least at the, at the very least sort of like try to constantly be confronting that and so I just kind of fell back into all these different routines I had gone into of you know running these errands and loitering and exchanging and, and meeting you know there's always new people to meet um, for the most part or at least like you know consistent people to check in with to drink you know coffee from the machine with to give cigarettes and rolling papers and you know, and this is Wednesday, and it was like, we were like shooting for an, a, an appeal on Monday that was kind of like truly the last chance, but like no one actually expected it to be a chance at all. It was just kind of like a, a motion that we should go through, which was to um, appeal the Schengen Zone ban. But so I had Wednesday to Monday with like no, you know, I had a couple visits from my friends, which were really nice, but other than that, there was like nothing. Um, so... You know, I, I fell into these different routines, and, and during that time, there was uh, a, mo- a moment where I was um, at breakfast trying to get... I mean, the, the day before I had gone to the doctor with my friend who was having um, problems, 
with um, her uterus. And so she really, she had been bleeding for days uh, and we didn't have any um, sanitary napkins. So, you know, and the nurse didn't have any to give us. And she said, you have to ask the cops. And I asked one type of cop and he says, you have to ask the other type of cop. So I wait for breakfast and I'm asking the cop, um, where can we get pads? And um, while I'm sitting down with the cop, uh, another cop comes and takes my instant coffee, which is like the one, you know, in the morning at breakfast, you get your one instant coffee and you pour your water in it and, and you know, you have your little, it's like the only warm thing you get, like definitely for the day. And this cop comes up and he fucking takes his cup and he takes my cup and pretends that he's drinking it. He's like, oh, I have my cup of, he's like saying this, he goes, I have my cup of coffee. It's so nice. Like, uh, oh, I feel so good. This is so great. And I like, kind of like go and try to reach for it. You know, I'm like pissed off. I'm trying to get it from him. And he like steps back and I'm just like, I kind of give him the hand. I wave my hand at him. I'm just like, like, fuck you. Which is a, a good part about the police not speaking in English. You can really say anything you want to them in English. Uh, they won't know. So I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. Keep it. I don't care. I like, I don't want it, you know? And so I like storm away with my friend and we're in the yard and he kind of like chases, he kind of like walks out of the canteen. He's like, I'm just kidding. It was, you know, should please someone like, it's just, I was just kidding. And I turn around and it's like pitch black, you know, like we're in the yard freezing out. I think it was even like raining and I'm just like in the middle of the yard. I'm just like screaming at this pig in French. I'm like, like, this place isn't a joke. Nothing is funny here. If, if, if we want to laugh, we will, we will like bring our own joy. Like you have no part, you know, I'm like really just, and, and then, you know, my friend who speaks, no, no, she only speaks Spanish. You know, I kind of turned to her and she's just kind of like disgusting, you know, they had, you know, no limits. They're disgusting. And I'm just like, yeah, well, we have to wait until the afternoon to get your pads. <laughs> it's kind of what I have to say. Uh, and then later on when I finally did, when it was the finally the right time to go to the right place to get the pads, I kind of like gave this, this cop a hard enough time to where he actually gave us a whole pack. So, um, <laughs> we got the pads. And then another vivid memory is, well, one thing is that I, I, my friends brought me many books. So I like was reading like, Helen Sisu, uh, Laugh of the Medusa, and I was reading, I, my friend brought me this funny, he brought me um, The Innocence Abroad, and uh, there's a T.H. Lawrence book brought, and um, some, uh, like this Japanese art book, <laughs> and some Arto, um, some Celine, <laughs> so I was reading a lot. Um, and then one morning, it was, uh, sat a Sunday, so, you know, already there's nothing much to do. Saturday and Sunday, there's actually nothing to do. All the offices are shut down. You can't get your commissary. You can't do your laundry. There's really nothing to do. And so you can imagine how things kind of start to mount. And Sunday morning began, uh, yeah, it was finally, like, it was really the first day where it wasn't, like, painfully cold to be outside. So I was in the yard, kind of, like, doing some sit-ups and running in circles and, uh the guards start playing Christmas music or the loudspeaker in like 10 second bursts. So literally it's like foggy. The sun had just risen. Everything's kind of like pastel and over the loudspeakers jingle bell rock. And I know that the guards can see me because I'm the only like 
I'm the only person in that side of the prison that is in ever in the yard. Definitely the only person that's like always wearing all black. Um, definitely the only person that's ever like doing push-ups, you know. And so I just like stand up and I start yelling into the fog at the watchtower, you know. And like I kind of see these cops, like these guards, like in the door, kind of like looking and laughing, and like they just keep playing. And then it switches to like Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you. And then I just, again, I'm kind of just, like, yelling at the cops, kind of like, you're trying to torture us. Are you f***ing kidding me? So I kind of just, like, haughtily, like, you know, like, really, like, just, like, I'm all upset, you know. You know, I was just trying to do my workout. And I go back into my my room. I'm all mad. But then I get in there, and my, my roommate is like, wow, like, you hear that Christmas music? Like, maybe it's a sign from God that we'll all be home before Christmas. We'll finish up with Chantal next week, alongside an interview with Chris, who was recently released from a Gainesville, Florida prison work camp. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. We also encourage your feedback. You can email us at kiteline at wfhb.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions shared on the show. Please join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.